your children from wrongdoing Cause you know done well that they'll go to hell They'll go to hell Hey Ding Dongs! Welcome back to The Good Play, a podcast about NBC's The Good Place. My name is Brianna, and with me on the line, she's now the manager of that Brugger's Bagels. It's my sister, Marissa. Good for me. Good, Good for, for me. Ben. Yeah. <laughs> so what are we talking about this week? We are going to engage in some real service journalism this week. Ooh, and I'm I am excited. so psyched for it. <laughs> I think you, you texted me the other day and you were like, NBC has put up extended cuts of all of these episodes and that's what we're going to talk about. I was like, great. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I spent the last 24 hours watching all so they they put out extended cuts of every episode of season two except for the first one for reasons i don't understand so um from dance dance resolution through Derek, mm-hmm. there are extended cuts of all of the episodes on uh nbc.com and on the nbc app now i had to connect my cable account to watch them yeah psa do not have cable so uh i could only watch the ones that were unlocked, basically. Uh, so which ones were those? So the first couple, I think the first couple that had like most of what we want to talk about tonight could not watch, which is kind of a bummer. Um, but I did watch Derek and I watched bits of um, the one before that, Janet and Michael uh, and stuff like that. So I, you know, ha- I didn't watch all of them, but I, I got a, a sense of some of them. So, so my assumption going into this episode, I mean, and it's true for, it's just true for Brianna as it is probably for most people who are listening, is that either you cannot or you will not watch these extended cuts. So if they were um, deleted scenes available on the app or on YouTube or something, then I think I would have the expectation that everybody would watch them, but they're not. They're yeah. on there. You have to basically, you basically have to have cable to see these. Some um, of I think, them. Yeah. Yeah, most of them. And, and most people don't have cable anymore. And um, I think a lot of people are watching this uh, show by, you know, buying the episodes on iTunes or Google Play or something. So they're just not going to have access to these. So for that reason, we're doing a couple things this episode. Uh, first of all, I'm going to go through and pretty minutely describe the extra scenes or the changes that they've made to each of these episodes. And then I'm going to do something that I haven't done before, which is that I'm going to patch in um, some of the more significant clips from the episodes that we're going to discuss. So 30 seconds to a minute of dialogue that I'm just going to kind of drop into the episode. And then we will be able to sort of discuss them because uh, you, Brianna will have heard it. I will have seen it. And all of you listening will have heard it. So mm-hmm. that is what I'm talking about. Um, this is This is some real... You know, this is a good deed, I think. This is going to get us into the point range of getting into the good place. I feel pretty good about it. I think so, too. Yeah. (laughs) So um, I'm just going to power through, and I'm going to talk about the changes that were made in each of the episodes, and then we're going to walk back and talk about some of the most significant things. And this is when I will patch in some clips. So in Dance Dance Resolution... This is probably some of the most significant changes uh, of any of the episodes. So I should say off the bat, like, you know, I was working off my memory for this whole thing. So it's possible that I missed. 
there were definitely a couple places in all the episodes where they would put in like one extra line or something. And I'm not, I'm not saying that I have perfect memory of all the episodes enough that I could pick out every single line, but I could definitely pick out extra scenes. So uh, three major things in Dance Dance Resolution. Number one, uh, right before Eleanor goes to her soulmate's jazz poetry recital, Jason asks if she's planning on uh, sleeping with her uh, fake soulmate, Sebastian. Eleanor says maybe, uh, and Chidi gets super upset and storms out. Uh, number two, Vicky and Michael have a slightly longer conversation when everybody, when all the bad place employees decide not to show up for orientation, uh, but we don't really get any extra information from that conversation. And the third, the third thing that's different in Dance Dance Resolution is an entire extra scene on the train from the medium place back to the neighborhood. Uh, Eleanor is freaking out because she just saw the tape of the two of them confessing love to each other. Chidi misunderstands her emotion for being upset about and, and worried about this whole scheme that they're, that they've cooked up with, you know, talking to Michael. And then they talk about, well, he says, you know, maybe we didn't even get to Mindy's place in every iteration. So how many times have we been rebooted? And Eleanor kind of clings to that like a life raft and says, oh, in fact, we've probably been rebooted hundreds of times and every single permutation of everything that could have happened has probably already happened and I feel so much better. And Chidi is obviously confused by this, but you know, this is obviously she's trying to explain away this uh, VHS tape. Okay, next episode, Team Cockroach. Uh, Jason's story about a guy asking him to put turtles in a duffel bag and smuggle them or whatever. <laughs> it's, it's a little bit longer. What I actually noticed from all these episodes is that Jason tends to, Jason's lines tend to get uh, cut the most ruthlessly. So there's a lot of times where he has a slightly longer joke or series of lines um and they just get they just get left on the cutting room floor he seems to be sort of like the least essential character so they oh, tend to yeah well it's not his fault but you know they, they tend to sort of take snip the edges off of things that he says just to make time chidi asks michael if soulmates are real michael says he has no idea but he hopes not because it is a quote lame idea <laughs> when Tahani is pretending to be a bartender at her sister's party. Um, some random dude asks her for an Irish enema, which she says is Bailey's and Sprite in a Ziploc bag. And I was like, I'm glad that joke got cut. That's not a very good joke. Blech. Yeah. I love Bailey's though. Oh, as do we all. <laughs> and then oh, this was the thing that I was like, thank God this got cut. Vicky's whole I will survive thing is like 10 times longer. You know, like in, in the episode that airs, she just does, at first I was afraid I was petrified, I think, or maybe the next line as well. Yeah. But this is, I mean, she goes like all the way into the chorus. <laughs> it is so long. I wonder if they had to do that just to like, in case they had to cut around it or something. Oh, maybe. I don't know. It was excruciating. Uh, okay. Next episode, Existential Crisis. Michael is putting up, so, so four things here. First of all, Michael is kind of putting up a fight about having to be in class, doesn't want to be there, you know, isn't his job trying to figure out um, how to get to the good, the real good place. And Eleanor says, no, that's your after school job. And this is school. And, you know, I was bartending at age 11 <laughs> while I was in school, which is alarming. Uh, there's more alarming stuff about Eleanor's childhood coming up. There's a little bit of extra stuff with Jason and Tahani doing party planning, which is not that interesting. 
when we flash back to Eleanor's dead dog conversation, which was already like a really rough scene that I thought probably needed tonally to be a little different. It actually is worse in this cut. At the end, there's a whole conversation between baby Eleanor and her mom about her mom says she has to bring her some white wine and what kind of white wine. And it's just like, oh, it's it's terrible. Uh, and then the fourth thing is um, Chidi telling Michael, you know, it's harder for you to learn about death because humans learn about death as children. So we sort of assimilate it a little easier. And meanwhile, uh, you know, you, you don't seem to have ever been a child. And, you know, how old are you? And Michael's like, it's hard to say. Uh, my birth certificate says always. <laughs> oh, there's actually a fifth thing in this episode. My, my apologies. There's a fifth thing in this episode where Michael explains his whole existence prior to you know the start of the series and we are going to play that clip later that is extremely revealing uh trolley problem this again poor jason just gets his jokes cut out yeah there were two different jokes of his that got cut out first uh when they're talking about the trolley problem initially and chidi's asking each of them what they would do uh jason says he would divert the the trolley onto the second track but then every year he would meet up with the five guys who he didn't kill and they would pour one out for their flat homie (laughs) (laughs) it was that was a good joke i was so bummed that one got cut later in couples counseling with janet um he says something like tahani is always mean to me and janet says you know how about you try an i statement and he says tahani is always mean says i (laughs) There's a little bit more about how angry Chidi is at Michael for, like, torturing them on the on the sly. Eleanor tells Chidi that that was some pretty impressive nerd rage, which was a nice laugh line for me. And then when, you know, when she goes to Michael's office to kind of tell Michael it's his responsibility to make up with Chidi, she says, you know, you should understand how angry he is because of, you know, he told you to get the fork out. And that's the most decisive I've ever seen him be. You know, he once went to a Chinese restaurant and could not decide between sweet and sour chicken. And that's one thing. Uh, Side note, I know that we know that Megan Amram has a list of all of the like possible restaurants in the neighborhood. But now I'm wondering if she also has a list of all the possible like tales from Chidi's life of how we know that he's indecisive. We got to tweet at her and ask because there have been some great ones like... I, I was just rewatching uh, in Derek when he watches the, the VHS tape and he says, I once tried to rent socks. Yeah, that's a great one. That's great. He couldn't name his own dog, res- you know, responds to uh, long pauses, right? <laughs> that was like <laughs> yes. when he lost his dog, that's all he could say. I mean, it's it's cartoonish at this point, but, you know, it's still funny, so it works. Megan Amram, you let us know. We're going to tweet at you. I actually want to tweet at Megan Amram and ask if she's a cheaty Eleanor shipper because her episode had so much more of that than the other episodes, but we'll get there. Uh, there was one more scene from the trolley problem where um, Cheaty is like handing back papers and Michael kind of has to be a little bit humble, even though he got the best grade. And the only thing that's interesting in that scene is that Cheaty explicitly says, you know, we really have to pile on these lessons because Vicky could figure this out at any moment, which... It's funny because that's obviously the stakes, but we don't get reminded of it that often in these episodes. Almost like they're trying to kind of hand wave it away so that um, the end of Derek is more shocking. Oh, yeah. Two more episodes. We're almost done. There's not much 
in uh, Janet and Michael that is new. There's a little bit more about what exactly Jason wants to ask from Janet when Janet is offline, like donkey sauce. When Janet is first booted up, there is an extended scene between her and Michael. And I think it was interesting. The only thing that I found really sort of interesting and revealing in there was that she told Michael specifically that it is not her place to levy any judgments on the rules of the neighborhood or the residents. So that's apparently like a built-in rule to Janet's, which then kind of makes it make a little bit more sense as to why she's pretty cool with the whole situation when she figures it out or when she's told what's going on. Yeah. Um, But it does make you wonder, like, what's going on with the good place neighborhoods that that's what she has to be programmed with? Like, what is what are the rules in some of these places? Or are there no rules? Oh, boy. You think it's just like a hedonistic paradise? That's... That's alarming. I don't know. <laughs> we'll fi- I guess we'll figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. At the end, for spoiler um, space, we should talk about the titles of the next couple episodes because those did get released. Oh, cool. Yeah. So staying in Janet and Michael here, um, there's a little bit of extra silliness with Derek. Um, there's a whole scene where he and Janet, you know, she gives him a kiss and He's like, that was a kiss? I liked it. You know, that kind of... It was funny, but, like, you know, I see why they cut it. And at one point, Michael offers to just take away Jason's memory and leave the rest of them, which I thought was an interesting solution, although a little bit cruel. On the the gripping hand, though, would would it even make a difference? (laughs) (laughs) Like... Jason is so clueless. Like, who, you know, if he lost his memory of the last couple weeks or months or whatever, like, what does it really matter? <laughs> and then in Derek, there's a kind of a funny line where Janet says to Derek, save the drama for your mama. And technically, I am your mama and I don't want it. They actually cut out a couple of like mommy jokes, I guess, because it probably made people uncomfortable. Yeah, the whole part where, well, you'll get to it, but the whole part where Michael tries to reboot them both or kill them both basically yeah so why why don't you talk about that because you did see that and my memory of it is not perfect because i've just been binge watched all these episodes over the last 24 hours yeah so that's the one i i watched a couple hours ago so michael is like well you know one example or one one way that we can solve this is we can just reboot both janet and derek effectively you know as we've seen from what happens with janet it's basically killing her and she begs for her life every single time as a fail safe and so it turns out Derek does that too, which makes sense because Derek is like, is basically Janet, like an extension of Janet. And his like reboot, like button thing is so janky. It's really funny. <laughs> it's pretty hilarious. And so Michael's standing between them and he goes to reboot Janet or kill Janet or whatever. And Janet is like, no, 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 please, Michael. No, please. I have, I have a son. I have a son and a boyfriend. He's my boyfriend's son or whatever. I don't exactly remember what she said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then Derek, he turns to Derek and he lo- he tries to reboot Derek. And Derek is like, no, Michael, I'm basically a baby. Would you kill a baby? And so like, it goes back and forth between. So I can see how then when like a couple, not even a couple minutes later, but like literally a minute later, Darcy Carden and Jason Manzukis are making out in order to like get Janet to reabsorb all of the information from him. 
that it would be real weird because he was just like, I'm a baby. And she's like, I'm his mom. Like, that's yeah. just weird. Yeah. Yeah. I think probably someone watched the initial version and was like, yeah, cut that. Cut someone that. from NBC standards is like, are we sure we want to do this? <laughs> I don't know. It feels like standards and practices does not care about the show. CF the wind chime penis. But <laughs> I, that, that made it through. But, you know, <laughs> still funny. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah, and then there was one, and then the thing you referenced at the beginning, at the very beginning of this episode, where yes. Eleanor makes some reference to a guy at a Brugger's Bagels, and Janet says, fun fact, he's still, you know, he's still at that Brugger's Bagels, and he's a manager now. Good for Ben. And good for Ben. So that is it for all the changes for the extended version of season two. I hope I was able to tick you all through that with sufficient alacrity, that you don't feel like you have to um, go sign up for cable just so that you can <laughs> get... I, I didn't feel, for the most part, most of the changes were fairly superficial. However, yeah. we are going to discuss sort of the two major things going on with the changes that were substantive. And the first is the cheaty Eleanor shipping. And the second is Michael's sort of discussion of what his existence is actually like. Which one do you want to hit on first? Let's do shippers first so let me play the clips for you from dance dance resolution so first here's the clip where eleanor says she's gonna go meet her soulmate sebastian you guys ready for our lesson we're talking david hume today bundle theory of the self baby sounds like a real banger but you guys gotta scram my soulmate has some sort of surprise planned for me, and he seems very excited about it. Oh, you two are certainly getting along very well these days. Yeah, I'm actually kind of into Sebastian lately. I mean, he's a little hokey, but he's growing on me a little bit. Yo, you gonna hit that? Well, I mean, it's possible. I, we'll see. Cool. Well, keep us updated. It's your problem all of a sudden. No, nothing. I don't have a problem. You're the... You have that. So that to me, I mean, that is, that, <laughs> that is saying something. Is, is Megan Amram a super cheaty Eleanor shipper? Question mark. Yeah, because then by the end of the season, Cheaty says he doesn't have any of those feelings for her. Different I mean, iteration. Different, different iteration. Yeah, I know. I know. I know. <laughs> but... like, don't trip all over me. I get it. <laughs> I know how the show works. Well, I don't know how any of it works, but I'm, I'm trying very hard. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it does, it does show you how the evolution, the dance dance evolution of, <laughs> of, uh, these characters. It's uh, really interesting, right? Because we know that we pretty much know that every time that Eleanor and Chidi end up at Mindy's together, they also end up sleeping together mm -hmm. just pretty much every time. Right. I think we can, we can round up and say every time that they end up at, at the medium place, they end up sleeping together. But this is an instance where they didn't end up at the medium place, right? Because they immediately get rebooted as soon as Eleanor goes to the jazz show. So, right. This was, she's talking about the guy who is her fake soulmate who. Sebastian. Sebastian, who does that like three hour spoken word jazz Eleanor poem. Less is more. And she's like, wait a minute. This is the best. She figures that out immediately. And we see that happen. So, yeah. yes. I thought that was so we know that they did not get to the medium place, and it was yeah. I, I my 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 memory of the Chiron is that it's day forty three, so that's wow. a, and right and this is a version of reality where 
Chidi and Eleanor are not set up as soulmates. So they are not set up as soulmates. He, she is supposed to be his student. And they've only been together. They've only been hanging out for like a month. Yeah. And he's already like beside himself at the idea of her hooking up with this guy who's supposed to be her soulmate. Well, hanging out together for a month is one thing, but they're spending probably all day, every day together. If you only have four people. No, he doesn't know that. As far as he knows, I mean, he should have his own soulmate. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I guess we never meet that person. No, so in all so in all these sort of like flip, 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 all these iterations, we mostly Focus do on not... Focus Yeah, so we, we mostly don't see anybody's soulmate except for Eleanor's soulmate, you know, which goes through... Which includes Tahani on one iteration, yes, which like... and a, oh, also a golden retriever. Right. <laughs> but so we are to assume, I think that Chidi was assigned a soulmate in each of these instances. Um, and yet he's like wildly jealous. I mean, that, that kind of, to me, that kind of tracks because that's his, that's a, another kind of torture for him, right? Like the, the very first episode of the season, we see him tortured because he thinks that he likes who we now know is a bad place employee. He, he thinks he likes Angelique and he can't have her. And that's part of his torture. You know, I, to me, I, I mean, we've gone back and forth about whether or not, like clearly they're not the bad place can't control for every single outcome. But I do think that it tracks for me that Chidi would almost end up torturing himself because he's so indecisive all the time that like, I think a different guy you know, Jason, right, says, makes the decision to marry Tahani and in the first season makes yeah, the decision like to an marry hour. Janet yeah. in like a day. <laughs> They're hanging out, you know, in Derek, which I just watched. So that's the freshest in my mind. They're hanging out for like an afternoon. And he's like, you know, I'll be your friend or your husband. What do you think? And he's like completely sure of it. And, you know, she's like, well, what about the wedding? They had been, I mean, they'd been sleeping together for like a month at that point. Okay, right? but even still, But still, right? no, I'm, ta- I'm totally on your side here. We're ta- Yeah, we're, so we're talking about the same amount of time. And I think Chidi, again, this goes back to our earlier conversation about how Chidi is never that sure of anything and once tried to rent socks. Could you imagine Chidi working up the courage to say to this person... To say to Eleanor, who's supposed to be his student, which I think is an ethical quandary for him, like, I like you, when he is supposed to have a soulmate somewhere else and she has a soulmate somewhere else. And I actually have a different take on this, which is that I would assume that Chidi, if presented with a soulmate who was even, like, mildly acceptable, would actually be relieved to have the choice completely taken away from him. That he would just... You know, because I, I suffer from some of this somewhat. I, I do have, um, I'm very decisive in some ways and I'm very indecisive in some ways, which I think is probably true for everybody. Yeah. But just for instance, like when I when I applied to colleges, and I'm not going to say sort of which colleges, but, you know, I applied to four colleges. I got into all four. And had I, so let's say, for instance, that all four of them had given me a full ride scholarship. I mean, I would have been like up at night. Yeah. Just gnawing my fingers bloody and just totally on the fence and and freaking out as it happened you know i got small sums of money from two of them a medium-sized sum of money from one of them and then a full ride to the place 
you know, that I obviously went, end up going, right? <laughs> like, yeah. I was like, oh, a full ride scholarship. Okay, that's where I'm going. And it was so, it was such a relief for me to have that decision taken away from me. Yeah. And I feel like that's how Chidi would feel too. That he would be like, oh, this is my soulmate. The end. <laughs> I'm done. I never have to think about this again. This is just a thing. So one of two things here. Either his soulmate was just uniquely ill-suited to him in this in this particular iteration mm. which we have no idea right yeah but this is my this is my thought process okay either his soulmate was uniquely ill-suited to him and he was like so dissatisfied that you know his heart keeps looking so to speak or like the magnets that are Chidi and Eleanor are so polarized towards each other that he cannot help himself and I, I, yeah, I think option B probably. Whew, that is saying something, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. That's you. Yeah. Well, and it makes you wonder where the rest of the season is going, and it also makes you wonder. I mean, how the decisions of what to cut out and what to leave in. I think for the Cheedy and Eleanor stuff, I wonder if they thought they were getting a little too heavy-handed, but at the same time, like. It would have been interesting to see that because I think it would have, we would have had these questions when we first watched the episode rather than now. <laughs> so should I play the second clip sure. now? The, um, the extra train scene. So sure. this is right after they've left Mindy's house. So that's the plan. We find Tahani and Jason, we bring them up to speed and we confront Michael directly. You holding up okay? What? Yeah, I'm fine. Don't worry about me, man. Worry about yourself you know keep your mind your own fences why are you acting so weird what it's an expression keep your mind your own fences it's very famous it's a famous word grouping i get it you're freaked out i am too you know what's really freaking me out we've been to mindy's 16 times but how many other times have we been rebooted like there must be dozens of times where we didn't get to mindy's right yeah, maybe even hundreds. Like, we've been rebooted so many times that every possible permutation of every scenario has probably happened at least once. You know, we've said things or d done things. That doesn't matter. Everything that's happened is utterly meaningless. Oh, I feel better. How? So, that scene... Uh, so I, I kind of see why that scene got cut because I think that we get that same information from Eleanor on other occasions, right? That she kind of feels like it was a fluke. Mm -hmm. Is that right? That we kind of get that information from Eleanor, maybe in other episodes, like it was a fluke. It was a one-time thing and, you know, it, it's not something to be worried about. Is that right? Well, and we also kind of hear it from Mindy when she says like, you guys hooked up a lot when you were here, but you only ever said I love you this one time. Right. I also just felt like the dialogue, like Eleanor's dialogue in this was a little more exposition-y and, and technical than I would expect from her. So I wonder if that's part of the reason why they cut it out too. Oh yeah, she did. She used the word permutation. And I was like, does she know the word permutation? Yeah, that's kind of how I felt. I was like, you know, I would expect to hear something like this from Chidi or from Michael, but not, or Janet, but I wouldn't expect to hear it from Eleanor. Yeah. I but think they he, gave it to the wrong person, kind of. Yeah. So this scene probably 
it was correct to end up on the cutting room floor. Yeah. But it did kind of make me think, like, is so this was the Megan Amram episode. I mean, as far as I know, this was the only episode she wrote this season. Um, she's a, she's like an executive or a supervising producer for the whole series. But I think this was the only one she wrote, And although I want to look that up. And so it makes me wonder, like, is she like a super cheaty Eleanor shipper? I think we got to ask her. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just tweet at her like, hey, we've got a super important question she for you. She inevitably comes on this show for the most gangbusters, awesome uh, interview of all time. Um, I don't know. I... I think it's sort of one of the central, this show is fundamentally, I mean, it's about philosophy, but I think it's fundamentally about relationships because that's how the philosophy becomes real, right? So you do have all of these different characters, how they act towards each other and, and in each of the permutations are like little examples of how ethics and, and philosophy becomes actionable. Um, so I think it is fundamentally about relationships, and I think Eleanor and Chidi's relationship is one of the most interesting, if not the most interesting relationship. So for the record, Megan Amram has written three episodes of The Good Place, but only one this season, and it was Dance Dance Resolution. Okay. So, I mean, I, th- I think the other most in- interesting relationship is Janet and Michael, and they had a whole episode yeah. dedicated to that. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. It was really affecting to watch that episode again. You know, when Michael says, you know, the the answer the, is... The reason is friends. Re- that's right. The reason is friends. And since we're speaking of Michael, would we like to transition over to talking about this other sort of half yeah. of... So let's put the cheating Eleanor stuff aside. Okay. The only other thing from these extended versions that I felt was really worth delving into was this really fascinating monologue from Michael. This is during the uh, existential crisis episode. And this is when Michael is mired in his existential crisis. This is after Chidi has asked him to consider what death would be for him, you know, quote unquote retirement. And it's before Eleanor tells him to shove down his feelings and he turns into midlife crisis man. Mm -hmm. So they are at Eleanor's house and this is the conversation that happens. Hey there, buddy. You feeling kind of empty? Like there's a gaping chasm in your soul, a tumbleweed blowing aimlessly through a vast desert of nothingness. Mm-hmm. You think that nothing we do matters, right? Yeah. Well, here's the thing. Life isn't meaningless, and you are the very proof of that. I used to feel the way you feel right now, but it turns out everything we did on Earth mattered. In fact, actions had an actual point value. So life had a tangible meaning, which means that you don't have to feel this way anymore, buddy. Existential crisis solved. You're right. Your lives aren't meaningless. Everything on Earth counted for something. Sure did. The same's not true here in the afterlife, where I exist and have always existed. Okay, but there has to be some sort of value system, right? I mean, how else do you judge the value of your actions outside of work? There is no outside of work. None of us exist outside our jobs. We have no homes, we have no hobbies, or relationships. We get the names of people to torture. We torture them. We get more names. Ah, okay. So you don't actually know if there's any purpose or, or larger meaning in all of this. No. Cool. 
Cool. Okay. There is a lot in there. Yes. There is so much. Why don't you start? I feel like I'm talking too much. Well, we had talked the other day about, or the other, uh, an episode ago, or maybe two episodes ago, about how um, we don't know what Michael's life is like outside of work. Uh, We don't know if he's ever had any other relationships with other demons or anything like that. And it turns out there is no life outside of work for him or for any of them. Right? Uh, Yeah, that's correct. (laughs) I mean, that was chilling to me. And I had never, I had never guessed it. Yeah. He's like, we get the names, we torture them, we get more names, we torture them, basically. Meaning that no wonder... Like, now I'm sort of thinking about it again, and, like, no wonder Michael is so affected by living with these people. No wonder. Yes, exactly. No wonder. And I almost, you know, this is a thing that I kind of wish they would have kept in the episode. I mean, maybe just because... I totally agree. I I am so sad that this got cut in favor of, of, like, I'm sorry, the Tahani-Jason subplot about the party planning. I realize it was kind of necessary to get them into bed together. You know, they kind of had to bond over something. But, like, I did not I did not need it. I, I mean, I, need, I could have just gone with just a couple of, you know, very short scenes about this party planning um, in order to keep this in. This is only, like, a minute long. You know, cut yeah. something else. Cut something else. Because I'm like... No wonder. And and the whole thing at the very beginning of the series where he's saying, you know, normally architects aren't allowed to, like, live in the places that they create. You know, now we understand, I guess from this, we understand, like, well, normally it, it's the monotony of you get a bunch of names, you design a torture chamber for them, you, you torture them. You get a bunch of names, you design a torture chamber for them, you torture them. And it's always just this, like, new crop of people and he's like let's who you don't even see as people you see as cockroaches exactly and let's innovate and let's like find a way and in doing so has created a situation for him where he is awakening to all of these feelings for the first time because i mean we saw like a flashback at the end of the first season of what the office is like and it's really we we also see it in janet and michael that's right and it's very drab and it's all kind of like, I mean, this makes sense. It is a little bit like The Office, but uh, in oh, so the afterlife. But yeah, but worse. But like, you know, everybody's just sort of, sort of ho-hum. And ugh, who put like non-dairy creamer in the, you know, or French vanilla, whatever, uh, antimatter. Like, it's all just this sort of like, don't rock the boat. Just do what you're told. Mondays. Off. Mondays, yeah. am I right? But that's every single moment of your moment existence, of their existence. oh my god i almost get a break i almost had a panic attack that. <laughs> like look I, my job is fine <laughs> i get along fine with my co-workers but if you don't think that the minute that the clock clicks over to that minute that i can leave i'm like zoom there i go like, except for joel who listens to this podcast we like you very much joel it's nothing to do with liking joel joel would totally understand the fact <laughs> That the minute that clock takes over, I'm like, bye. But, okay, so no, okay, yes. So no wonder all of a sudden he's in a new environment and he's like meeting 
basically what he has referred to as cockroaches or or just numbers on a piece of paper for all this time and he's meeting them yeah, they're like they're like cells on a spreadsheet yeah exactly they're like if if i got dropped into a spreadsheet and it was like you know all these numbers had feelings i would feel a little different about you know the work that i do <laughs> so you know so, why seven is afraid of eight wait uh, wait a minute wait no no why you know what six is afraid of <laughs> I can't tell a joke made for a six-year-old. We're not doing this. So, (laughs) but like all of a sudden, and he finally has some semblance of a life outside of the office. Because I mean, think about that. Think about. I mean, we did just talk about it, but like for him, that means that he is really has no significant relationships in his life. That was right. That's exactly the thing that we had sort of speculated on last episode. Because I was like, I don't know, is it? Because I was sort of under the impression of like, does he have to to do this assignment to like take this assignment of living in this neighborhood? Does he have a soulmate that he had to leave behind in like some weird demon house? Or, but no, no, he just gets to go, gets to leave his like drab bank in Gotham City lit office. And go and live in this neighborhood where, you know, he's found these, like, you know, Team Cockroach, basically. He's found, like, these quirky weirdos who he gets along with. Yeah, and think about the rhythm of his life in the, you know, in his neighborhood. You know, the humans all sleep and eat. I mean, which is kind of ridiculous. Why should they need to? But they do. They also, I, I guess because the idea is that, you know... If it were the real good place, you would want to kind of stick to the routines that you're used to, at least initially. Mm. So think about the fact that his entire existence for the for the entire history of time has been inside of this horrible, as you say, <laughs> Gotham City bank lit sort of office environment. And now it's like the humans sleep. You know, he 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 doesn't have to be doing anything yeah he's just he's got like eight hours from like midnight to 8 a.m where he just gets to i don't know i don't think he sleeps i don't think he can sleep he probably is just like reading books or but he can he can read all of human literature in like a minute right except so like... except for cheney's dissertation <laughs> so maybe he's that's what he's doing in the eight hours of editing. <laughs> maybe he's like maybe he's like playing video games i don't know man but like Think of how he has, like, downtime and leisure for the first time in his existence and how disconcerting that may be. And it also explains a lot in terms of when you see him in flashbacks, he's got these, like, very sober conservative suits on. You know, like, he's got these, like, gray sort of, like, windowpane plaid, like, you know, just, uh, like, absolutely deathly boring. And then anytime you see him... In the good place, you know, he's got like on a like a peacock bow tie or whatever. He's very you know? dapper. Yeah. Very dapper. Like his entire existence has been completely turned on its head in a way that neither you nor I really appreciated. No, for sure. I mean, yeah, it's and it's also like all of a sudden, not only are you in a place where you have downtime, but you're in a place where you have like you get to go outside. You just have different experiences. Like you can go outside, you can Go to, I mean, Eleanor takes him for karaoke, right? And he has that whole oh, thing. Oh, yeah. He has that whole thing about how, like, the one of the things I like about humans is that, like, as, as bad as things can get, like, you guys just, there's a part of you that wants to find the fun, right? And, I mean, if 
I don't think I fully appreciate it at the time because I think because we are humans, obviously, we looked at Michael's office job and thought, well, that's really looks really drab and boring. But like, I don't know. At least she only has to do it for eight hours a day. Yeah, Yeah. Or like, you know, maybe he's got a hobby or maybe they go out after work and they all kind of unwind and talk about, you know, he's got like a really nice long lunch hour. Yeah. (laughs) You know, or like maybe he's got something else going on in his life, but no, he doesn't. And so (laughs) for him and Eleanor to go do like to take a break from work, because the whole point of that episode was he was driving himself crazy trying to figure out what was wrong, yeah, in- quote unquote. interrogating funny looking in- rocks, rocks and stuff. But now I have a different view of that episode because I mean, obviously we know some of it was played to comic effect in order to uh, rattle Eleanor. Yes. Right. But if he's only ever known work, then he doesn't know how to take a break. Even if some of the, like, I know some of it's supposed to be torturing her, but he doesn't know how to take a break. So, she literally, for the first time, was like, no, 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 no. Let's go take a break. And he actually was. Like, they went and did karaoke, and he was, like, completely thrilled by it. And, you know, looking back on it with this knowledge, like, he's never done anything like that before. Because he's never been outside of his desk bullpen. Two things. First of all, I think this answers the question that we had earlier about whether his love for humans was like an affectation, uh, whether it was like a true thing or whether he was trying to fool everybody, you know, by, by, by painting him as this like sweet, harmless guy. Yeah. I'm going to say that it was not a put on. I agree. That he sort of yearned for this different existence that humans have even though you know human life can be incredibly painful and incredibly short that he envied human existence to some degree yeah and that's why he's always sort of um you know being obsessed with paper clips and things of that nature yes. second thing this really raises some questions for me about all the bad place employees that he got into this scheme yeah so if you are you know, John Q. Bad Place employee. If you're the hot mailman, what was his name? Chad? I don't even Chris. remember. Chris. I think Chris. So yeah, say you're Chris. And normally, you know, I think we were imagining eight hours a day he was twisting people. But no. <laughs> yes. He was twisting people continuously without rest for millennia. Oof. And yet somehow he preferred that to you know, kind of getting to move around this, you know, open world with lots of different people. And, you know, it had some difficult, quote unquote, difficult acting work for him to do. But so so I guess my point is that it does seem like Michael is a very different kind of demon than most of the demons who he is working with. Because it seems like for most of them, all we see is them complaining and, you know, so putting Vicky aside, I suppose. Yeah. You know, when we kind of catch those bad place employees smoking cigars, you know, they're like, what was wrong with whatever? Whatever was fine. Whatever ter- sort of terrible torture, you know, Lansing or whatever. What was wrong with Lansing? Lansing was fine. <laughs> Lighting people on fire. Yeah. Whatever. So these are all demons who haven't been given a taste of what you and I, I think, would call freedom. 
are like, why would I want this? I want to go back to the existence where I am basically on an assembly line torturing people without surcease for my entire existence. And that creeps me out. That's really rough. That is really, really, really rough. Because, yeah, I mean, I think... I, I think I did imagine, as you were saying, that if you're somebody like Chris who doesn't seem to have a lot of imagination or particular aptitude for something, but you're really good at twisting people, that you could do that for eight hours a day and then you clock out and, like, you know, like, John takes over the twisting for the night shift, right? And you're <laughs> like, hey, bro, like, working hard or hardly working, like, and you just sort of pass each other. And then you go home and you, I don't know what demons do. Like maybe he twists open some beer bottles and knocks <laughs> them back. You know what I mean? Maybe he goes to the gym. Right. He's like the kind of guy who would maybe want to watch like Ice Road Truckers or something. Yeah. You watch a couple episodes of Ice Road Truckers. You maybe watch like, you know, some, I don't know, but it just that you would have some kind of ex- watch some NFL red zone right <laughs> with, with Jason like that you would have some kind of like uh cool down period from being in a pit all day twisting people in half um and then you treat it like a job but it's not your job it's your whole existence it is your whole existence I mean it also makes me it also makes me wonder rough. about those do you remember those guys who came and visited during the sec- the first season who were the Adam Scott Brigade? Yes. How could I forget my boyfriend? <laughs> my boyfriend so Adam what, Scott. What was their deal? I mean, they. I desperately want to know. We haven't gotten to those episodes yet in our guilty knowledge rewatch, but I desperately want to know what their deal is. Like they they do karaoke and they snort the concept of time. I mean, they act like party girls. And yet, if, if, if to, to go back to this clip, like, what are they actually doing all day, every day? Are they just the best actors that the bad place has, but really their whole existence is like, you know, lighting people's butts on fire? Like, what is their real jobs? (laughs) Well, that's what, I mean, that's what I want to know about those guys in particular, because, you know, after the reveal, you're like, but wait a minute, that means, I mean, I think we had a whole episode where we, part of what we talked about was like, oh, Adam Scott's character is just someone that Michael has to like pass in the break room. Like they're not rivals. They work together. They're probably both like middle management level at the bad place, but it's just so happens that, you know, they were really good actors, but to be honest, who knows? Because Michael Michael seems to be a lot more of like a sweet, soft boy to, to take <laughs> from one of our other favorite podcasts. And Adam Scott seems like a real bee. So like, how do you... I don't really know how to square that. Yeah, it does. I mean, they, they present the image of the bad place to the quartet as being kind of the way that Christians in contemporary America think of Satanists like hedonistic and um, just so amoral that it's even difficult to have a conversation with them. Um, Like just completely insufferable maniacs. Right. 
Yes, exactly. But yeah. but if if we take sort of what we've seen in the flashbacks and the speech by Michael, like that can't really be their real lives, right? I mean, unless there are different departments, which well, there so, must be. But Michael says, you know, Department of Human Affairs gets human bodies. So my assumption would be that if you have a human body, you're in human affairs. I know actually, logically, that does not track. Uh, if I was taking the LSAT, I would get marked down on that question because everybody who is in human affairs gets a human body does not imply that everybody who has a human body is in human affairs. But I think in the real world, it's like okay, cheating. Safe. <laughs> I think in the real world, it's like fairly safe to assume that. Yeah, I don't know if there are different if there are different like teams within human affairs. Who knows? I mean, we need an org chart. We need to call. Yes, we desperately need an org chart. <laughs> Megan Amram, we're gonna ask you: Are you a cheaty Eleanor Shipper? Do you have an org chart of the bad place that we can look at? Because this just raises like so many more questions. Yes, I particularly want to know where Sean falls on that org chart. I desperately want to know that. Also, where like, Amy he's Polar not falls CEO. On it <laughs> not ceo no <laughs> I, i'm pretty confident of that yes he's just like he's just like one rung up the chain from michael i think and i think that he has people he reports to although we never literally never hear about them right uh, yeah but we need an org chart stats we need, I need all of the branches to have designators you know this is the a group and the b group and this is the a a1 subgroup and the b2 <laughs> subgroup you can tell you work for a very large organization. Say, I was about to say, <laughs> this is in no way based on my personal experience. I don't want Levels, to talk about it. Yes, no. Um, but I, but I think, I think we do. It. I am really. I want Adam Scott and that whole band of weirdos to come back for part of season two. Not just because I love Adam Scott, but also because mostly, mostly, no. mostly because I love Adam Scott. But also because I I do think, like, we understand where Vicky fits in. And we got a better explanation of how she fits in with the whole scheme than we did with these guys. These guys came in specifically to rattle everybody and specifically to be the counterpoint to... Um, what we thought was the good place and we're like and 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 to show eleanor like you know you don't you know adam scott says to her like you don't belong with these people you belong with us you're a trash bag right like (laughs) so but to show us that like no 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 eleanor really has grown while she's been in what we assumed was the good place and she doesn't belong with these real trash bags but in reality all of the people who we assumed were normal were also, or people, I shouldn't say people, the, the demon slash bad place employees who we assumed were like normal, nice people, like the couple for the couples counseling episode. They're all essentially trash bags too, that means. Either everybody is so far out like Adam Scott and his crew, or they were putting on one heck of a show. Because if Adam Scott really acts like that while he's walking around the office, everybody seems way too buttoned up for that. Yeah. And yeah, I don't think anybody would put up with it. I think that they would just, you know, scoop his soul out with a diamond ladle or whatever. (laughs) Unless he's like, just like 
a, a bro like account manager or something you know what i mean or maybe he's like a brilliant torturer and nobody can like like you know. dr house they're, they're like yes you know he breaks all the rules of, yes, of he's the human interaction <laughs> true story if hugh laurie and adam scott were in something together i would be there i would be first in line i'd, be, <laughs> I'd sign up for cable for that that's for sure <laughs> If you have not, listeners, if you have not watched through the comedy sketch show A Bit of Fry and Laurie from it's, like the 80s or 90s, gold. it is so good. It is Stephen gold. Fry and Hugh Laurie doing all these sketches that are just like, each one is hilarious. I don't, it's like, it was like the key and peel of its day. Is it? That's that's how I feel about it. It's like Fry and Laurie, key and peel. Most sketch shows I don't care for, but those two are brilliant. Yeah. And uh, if you haven't watched adam scott in anything that he's ever done i don't think that i have oh you gotta watch. oh except he was in that he was in that um wet hot american summer sequel yes he, he pre- that's right he he, he played to, uh he plays bradley, <laughs> bradley cooper. cooper he played bradley cooper that's not a very needy role for him because he's trying to be somebody else Please, I'm. Like, it's also, it's also, it's also not good. I'm sorry. No, for, I, I, agree. I. Wet Hot American Summer was like one of my favorite movies, and the prequel, I was okay with, and the sequel, yes. I was like, oh, this is garbage. No, I agree. I had the exact same reaction. Um, I'm begging you, and I will beg you every single episode that we do this. I am pl- imploring you to watch Parks and Recreation because I his, know his I just who has the time. But- <laughs> You had time to watch all these extended episodes of this show. We had show. a podcast to that, do. Well, should we do a podcast about Parks and Rec? Would that Absolutely get you to watch not. It? No. It it's but his character on that is like the cheaty of he's like the cheaty of Parks and Recreation. So and this is like a Michael Shore template. Not really, because uh Cheaty has his own uh like quirks and stuff. Like Adam Scott's character has different quirks. Uh, is a huge nerd, uh, but is like a little severe at the beginning and over time kind of warms up. But um, spoilers, <laughs> I can't. That how long has that show been off there? <laughs> no, no, <laughs> no. I totally Interestingly, agree. though, as we've said before, Jason Manzukis basically plays this like a he would be his character on Parks and Rec would be a great bad place employee because he's a terrible person. So. <laughs> um, Okay, can we talk about the... We'll talk about the titles of the next two episodes yeah. that air in January, and then we will wrap it up. Okay, sounds good. The January 4th episode is called Leap to Faith, and the January 11th episode is called Best Self. Interesting that it's not Leap of Faith. I know! And then there are three more episodes in the season, and then they are done for the year, I believe. They did get renewed for a third season. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, sorry. Uh, They're done for the season, obviously. They're not done for 2018. So, that's really good news for all of us and for this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, what would this podcast become? Like, oh, we did, like, 24 episodes of this podcast, and then... uh, And then we cried. all over. (laughs) We cried. We're just reviewing uh, The Good Place fan fiction. (laughs) (laughs) Megan Amram, you're free now, right? Do you want to come on now? Yeah. (laughs) Maybe we can get her during a hiatus. Uh, um, yeah, I don't. I don't think so. I will hold out hope. Um, leap to faith. What do you think that's about? Uh, my only guess is that Michael specifically mentions us a, a different form of transportation, but he never says what it would be. And 
I think Eleanor says transportation is a main character. Sorry, not Eleanor. <laughs> Kristen Bell, when they interviewed the cast at the beginning of the season, said something like transportation is a main character. Yeah. So my only guess is that there is a literal leap to faith. <laughs> my only guess is that they can actually jump up in the air and somehow reach the good place. Or which that is it's like ridiculous. a Thelma and Louis. <laughs> just a abbreviation that i haven't heard from you in a while <laughs> um or that it's like a thelma and louise situation where they're like in a oh vehicle. god but it's no but like they're in a vehicle and they have to make an impossible jump or or just or 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 take the jump off the cliff and 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 to have faith that the good place will catch them on the way down or something woof all right Ooh, man i am none of these sound like uh, things that Chidi would be happy doing. <laughs> no, but like they they are an extremist, you know. I mean, they can't sustain five episodes of you know heightened you know panic and running around and trying to avoid Sean. So it can't all be like this. Yeah, I mean, I ha- you having reminded me, well, and also I just watched it that Sean is back. Is it possible that this is like a a kind of like a panic move by Michael to get them all out. Like, okay, we got to go now. We got to go now because he's here and he's figured it all out and we got to go. So they're that. Like, yes, I think that would be my assumption. And then yeah. this could be completely wrong, but that sort of Janet is going to take care of Sean for like a hot minute, right? That Janet can somehow keep Sean in the recesses of her uh, boundless void for like 10 minutes. And so, you know, I've got to just get over to where the humans are and we all need to like run now. And that involves this method of transportation I mentioned. And it is, you know, literally jumping off a cliff or whatever. Yeah. And you've got to, you just got to have faith that we're going to get there and it's going to work. And then maybe that's, that's potentially very dark, right? Cause some of them maybe make it and some of them don't. Oh God. <laughs> that's just, you just got my visceral reaction there. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and then best self could be, if they make it to the good place, maybe they see what the other side is like. Uh, maybe. Or maybe they're going to kind of like be on trial, in a sense. And they have to show their best self or something. I don't know. I mean, they've got a whole nother season, at least. I think, did Michael sure said that he wanted to go up to four seasons? Is that right? Um, I don't know. But he I said- thought that he said, you know, something like, I have two more seasons in me after this one or something like that. Yeah, or I think he I think he may have meant that at least I took it that he had enough content to get them through two more seasons. Right, right. But right. I don't know if that means like I'm sure that they could keep coming up with stuff if they get renewed, but it just may, might depend on where he sees it going cuz I think he it sounds like he has an idea if all these different things are chapters and everything then I wonder, you know, what the end point in his mind is and he's just sort of feeling backwards um but yeah i mean it could be that they're on trial uh or it could be that you know something brings out the best self in all of them and they get to sort of see what that really looks like yeah huh i just yeah i have so many interesting ideas about that but um we've we've run a little long already yeah um and you know, we know from this show that trying to speculate too much just makes you look real dumb in a couple months. 
or like yeah like a week from week to week we were just like well everything we thought just throw it out the window bye don't listen to that one episode anymore (laughs) all right let's uh we should have done this at the top but like um we're on twitter at the good play pod we've got a a facebook group called the good play we're on um itunes uh you will never make me say apple podcasts i don't care that that's what it's called now um, we have a webpage, goodplay.cast.rocks, where you can play all the episodes just in a browser, which can be nice if you are at work and trying to drown out the noise of people sitting around you. Not that, uh, not that I have any personal experience for that. And uh, if you're at work and you apparently have no life outside of work and can never leave. Oh yeah. If you're one of those people, you know, you should probably just listen to us on a loop. There you go. Um, and we have an email address. You have to remind me what it is. It's the goodplaypod at gmail.com. Thank you. Uh, so I think that is it. And remember, guys, next week, um, first of all, we're going to be a couple days late next week. But second of all, we're going to be discussing The Last Jedi. Woo! So <laughs> we're probably, the episode's probably not going to come out till like the Wednesday after the movie comes out. Um, because I'm not going to see it till Monday and then we need time to record and edit. Who's got two thumbs and it's got tickets on opening night. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad. <laughs> I'm happy for you. Um, <laughs> you're like, stop. <laughs> you just, just stop it. No, no, no. I, I genuinely do not want to be in the crush of people on opening night. There was like a point in my life when that was a thing that I loved and I like went to do that for like Spider-Man. Uh, but now I am old and the thought of being in line for a movie like that makes me want to like warg out of my body. <laughs> so like, I just, no. Uh, we are mixing so many fandoms. I'm yeah, so really into are. it. <laughs> so I'm seeing it on Monday. I guess it's the 18th. So probably the episode, the next episode is going to drop on the 20th. Okay. Um, but we are going to be total spoiler, a hundred percent spoiler talking the last Jedi and our reactions to it. And we realize that that has no relationship whatsoever to the good place. And we don't care. Do not care. Straight up. Do not care. <laughs> if you um, don't care to hear it, don't download the episode. Our feelings will it. not be hurt. <laughs> nope. Uh, and also I, I do have to point out that as we were recording this episode, the Los Angeles premiere of the last Jedi is happening. And I am so jealous of all of those people who are there right now. You would you would commit a lot of crimes to be in the I would, audience tonight. If, if they were like, listen, you can go to the LA premiere of The Last Jedi, but you will be in the bad place. I'd be like, sign me up to get twisted for eternity. <laughs> if it means that I get to be in the same room as Oscar Isaac and Daisy Ridley and Mark Hamill and just sobbing my face off. And John Boyega. And, he eventually, he got there eventually, and right? my boy John Boyega. And everybody else just sobbing my face off every time Carrie Fisher is on screen. <laughs> yeah. Uh, also, BB-8's probably there. Oh the yeah, probably. Carpet. You could get a picture with BB-8. That would be like oh. the pinnacle. That would be the pinnacle of your life. I, I would just, I would just like evaporate right there. I'd be like, <laughs> and I will never do anything better than this. And I'm just assumed into heaven. <laughs> Or, the, or in my like, case, like, I made like, a deal with a devil. That's how like I got there. Like Adam the Scott shows up and is like, we got to go. Like, yeah, I know. <laughs> All right. All righty. Let's, uh, let's wrap this puppy up. All right. Until next time, may the force be with you. All right, Ding Dongs. We'll uh, see you next time for The Last Jedi Pod. 
I think you should use that at the end as like a little stinger. <laughs> a little button after knocking on Heaven's door. <laughs>